great consternation in the idea that it just seems like every day we are being hit. And if you watch anything on the internet, if you watch anything on the news, and I literally quit watching the news, I just start clicking on it. But there's such a upheaval inside of us. Do I raise my children up in the things of the world 
Or do I raise them up in a godly environment where they will someday stand for Christ and you'll be proud that one day as you see Jesus hug them one of these days because they're with you in heaven. We have to make a decision. And that decision is which world will we live in? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone lives in the world, the love of the Father is not in them. The Bible tells us, and I believe it's befitting for the, the day and time that we live in, when it tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate. Time that we got to separate. Now, there's some people that won't like that. It's not going to be popular to be separate. It's not going to be. It's not going to be advantageous to you to be separate. It may even cost you. But I'm reading. I'm reading two books right now. One is Pilgrim's Progress. Which you gotta, I'm only on about page thirty something right now because I've read and I've been reading it forever. And and, and, and it's just so deep that you get into things of, of the, life, the Christian life. But I'm also reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. And he's saying basically in that book that if you have signed up to give and walk with Jesus, I don't care how old you are or whatever, if you sign up to walk with Jesus, it's going to cost you. And that's the title of that book, The Cost of Discipleship. If you're following Jesus, there are no free rides. The greatest sermon that was ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord preached it by the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting, they always, they always picture him on the hill and everybody. And the truth of the matter is, where he preached it, he actually preached it standing by the sea and the people were sitting up feeding. And there's something about that area over there, the Sea of Galilee, that the, the, the volume are, that it is conducive to hearing acoustically what he had to say. Gandhi, who was a Hindu, was not a Christian, but he carried a copy of the New Testament everywhere he went. He said the greatest sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And I agree with that. But any great sermon that has ever been preached always ends with a great story or message at the end. Ends the Sermon on the Mount with a story about two men building two different houses built upon two different foundations. It is an illustration of two belief systems. We we have not heard that before, most of us, and many times about a belief system. And our and our children are not being taught a belief system that is conducive to Jesus Christ. We're talking about a belief system of the world. And so two systems that you can put everything into. And there's only two. You say, well, now there's a lot of world religions. I know there are. But in all those world religions, they all basically, you can draw a line down the middle, and that is that one is saved by what Jesus did by grace, and all the others are worse. In other words, I've got to do something over here to basically appease God to get there when over here 
what Christ has done, He's already achieved that. And it's my trust and belief and hope in Him that takes me up and lifts me. But the two world systems, one, one is the system of humanistic teaching. Humanism fails so good. It fails, and this is what we're teaching in our schools. We're teaching humanism. We're not teaching it here in this school. But we teach humanism. And, and humanism says, well, that sounds like more than we really care about other human beings. No, that's not it at all. What humanism teaches, it teaches that we take God Almighty off the throne and we place man in the very center of it. That's what it does. The Christian belief system that is spiritual and with the Lord God Almighty on the throne in your life and that I live my life by the precepts of this book. I wonder how many of us can say that. How many of us can say that we live by biblical principles. I raise my children by biblical principles. My finances are by biblical principles. How I treat other people are by biblical principles. I see a lot of Christians that many times will shout hallelujah, do double backflips down the middle aisle, and yet they don't pay their bills. I mean, I actually went I actually went to one person to talk to him about coming to work here on our new building, and he refused to do it. You know why? Because he had worked with other churches that did not pay him, and he said, I will not do anything for churches. We don't understand that how we live our life is a testimony to other people. It's what we don't understand. Biblical principles. One of the greatest distinguishing marks of the Christian belief system is that it is spiritual and James distinguishes it. And I didn't realize this until about a week or so ago. But listen to what he says. And you've read this how many times? And we, we've thought of this in more or less materialistic terms. But that's not it. I want you to listen to this. It's found over in the book of James, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. He goes on. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. He goes on to verse 3. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You stand here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand over there and sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich and in faith and heirs of the kingdom and he promised to those who love it? And so what we've done, we've taken those verses and we've made them totally materialistically. I want to tell you something that has nothing to do with this. You know what it has to do with? It is the realization of you and I that the Christian belief system is spiritual. And because a man may come in that has a Ph.D. and he sits down here, and he may be the bank president. I don't know. He may have a Ph.D. sitting in the bank president. Here comes a guy in that maybe he, he, he works on the back of a garbage truck and, or, or whatever, you know, whatever he does, whatever he comes in. And maybe he's only got an eighth grade education. But the man with the Ph.D. is going to listen to this man over here that's only got an eighth grade education. You know why? Because it's not the things of this world that confound us. It's the spiritual things. And it may be that this man over here is more mature and, and more spiritual than the man that's got the Ph.D. It's not the, the, the bank president may be here on the things, but this guy over here may be more mature than 
This is why Paul talks about in the, in the New Testament how that many times there were slaves that were sitting in church with their slave owners. We're not, he's not adhering or saying that we ought to have slaves. He's not saying that in the passage. But he's saying the, while we look at people, how we look at this world is through a spiritual a vision, a, a veil of spiritualness that we determine things. Because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we are to live. Now, do we just play with it, or did Jesus really mean that? And making decisions on what I do with whatever is in my life, how do I do this? Do I live by the sentiment? One thing it seems that the Lord keeps directing me to is to tell your people to stand. The Lord is, is put in my heart that in these last days that I, as your pastor, have a responsibility to prepare you to stand with your family, to dedicate yourself to be able to discern the voice of God. And that's the one thing I think we haven't done. We don't spend time. You know, old time people used to call it praying through. In other words, they stayed on their knees until they heard what God said. It's just like all these decisions we're having to make all of a sudden this thing's put on us about this virus and everything else. What is, here's the question. What is God telling you to do? Do you have peace in that matter? Because if you don't have peace, then that's God saying to you, don't do that. If I have consternation in my life and I'm trying to do something and God's saying, hit me and hit me and hit me, saying, don't do that, don't do that. But if I have been careful in nothing and, and in all things in prayer and supplication, letting my request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding it guards my heart and soul, and God says, okay, here's the green light, go do it, then go do it. That's the difference. And, and I think as, as, as we move farther and farther, away from the center of what God wants us to do, man, it's going to be so absolutely imperative that you and I can hear from God and we understand that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But the problem is not every Christian is listening. Jesus said in Luke 4.35, He said, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And you go on to chapter 15 of Luke, verse 1, who was it that heard it said this? And the tax collectors and the sinners together were filled. You see, it's only those people that have come and understand that they need Dr. Jesus that will come. If you think you're too good, if you think you're not a bad sinner or whatever else, then you're not going to come. It's when I'm sick, it's when I realize I have a need that I come. Also, time 
told to the church at Ephesus, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. To the church, to the church of Smyrna. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The church of Pergamos, the same thing. Theatra, the same thing. Sardis, the same thing. Philadelphia. And then he comes to the final church, which is the church of today, Laodicea, which is rich and increased with goods. And thinks we have need of nothing. He says, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Who's listening today? That's what God says. Again, 
Then he asks you this question, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You see, I can go over, and I, I don't know why this verse keeps coming to me, but I can go over to the book of, uh, uh, over to, and I didn't plan on doing this, and I didn't give this to you, so get ready, uh, that uh, over to the book of Job, and the book of Job tells me, listen to what it says over here, and I can never get there, uh, and where is it, Job, uh, I'll find it here in a minute, wait a minute, let me, let me tell you where it is, uh, here we go, Job 14, listen to what this says, uh, 14 verse 5, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass, what's that saying, listen to what it says in the New Living Translation, you have decided the length of our lives. God knows exactly how many days you're going to live. How many seconds you're going to live. How many minutes you're going to live. God has decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. You see, this is why I keep saying to you that down here when somebody that we love dies, it's a shock to our people. And we say, oh, it's so unexpected. In heaven, it's a schedule of Does it not say, does not the Word of God say, uh, it's appointed unto men once to die appointment? I don't know about you, I, I go to the doctor's office appointment. i got to wait another two hours until I get in there. But anyway, uh, appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment? It's a, God knows. So for us, it's a shock. Not in heaven. We're rejoicing in heaven. I always felt like that where the Bible says over in, in, the, in Luke 15, there's rejoicing in the presence of the, uh, in the presence of the angel over one person who, who comes, the one sinner who comes. You know who that is who's rejoicing? It's not the angel. They look into our lives and try to figure out how God redeemed us. No, it's talking about God the Father. But I also believe that those people that have gone over. I want to tell you something. There's a party going on in heaven right now with some of your loved ones, and we're sitting down here drumming dumb. And we're not going to realize it until one of these days we get to heaven and we really see what God's done. We look through a glass darkly now, but boy, it's coming today, it's going to be revealed. Man, what a day that's going to be. Jesus says, says the same of mine in judgment. That we not only know what the Bible says, what it teaches, but we put into action those things that we live by biblical principles. We're living in a time of double-mindedness. That people know what to say. They got all the religious jargon down, but you don't live by the fruits of their lives. You don't live that way. Well, I know whether I'm free, cold, tolerant, whatever. I know where I'm at. I know what. I know all those things, but do I do them? Well, James has a lot to say about that. He, you know, he says a guy who looks in the mirror and it's the Word of God that tells you who you really are, and he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. That's what he does. Verse 24, Jesus is saying, my thing. James says in, in James 1, uh, 1, 5, 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by wind. Now look what verse 7. No, let, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
Why will he not receive it? Because listen to what it says. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does it mean? He says something, boy, it sounds good, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. It's like the parable of Jesus in the Luke on the sower, the soul, and it says in Luke 8, verse 13, but the one on the rock, for those when they hear, receive the word with joy. How many times do we see people come down this aisle and receive the word with joy? And, and these have no root who believe for a while in the time of temptation fall away. Why they want to try to give it to Jesus? So here's the thing to mind, and he does that. That's what it says. And he says, verse 24, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, not a rock, but the rock. And verse 25, notice that the rains came, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon their house. Boy, if you're into prosperity preachers, you don't like that much because this says basically that if you really come to Christ, you're going to have some problems. Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble, but he went on to say, but I have, but be a good cheer because I've overcome it. The difference between the unbeliever and the believer is not that trials and bad things only happen to the unbeliever. I know some wonderful people. I remember Jay Byrne, he was talking about he and his wife marooned with their sick baby. And across the hall, there was, across the hall from them, there was a man that was known for his corruption. And that child lived. So Jay Byrne, the gay, Jay Byrne, Jesus' baby, passed away. Don't tell me that if you give your heart to Jesus, that boy, everything's going to be fine. Because it may not be. You may go through things. And, and, and Jesus has never promised us that we'll have not have any trouble. It's different because we built our lives and belief system on the rock that in the midst of the storm, Jesus is in our boat. Amen? I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus promised you He'd never leave you and never forsake you. He promised you he'd stick closer to the brother. He would be nigh. He draws nigh to me. I'll be nigh to him. That's what he says to us. God will never abandon us. God will never turn away from us. The unbeliever goes through things alone. They beat upon the house, but it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. Yes, the rain came. Yes, the wind came. Yes, the flood came. But it stood. Don't you like that? Because what it says, it was, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. They beat upon the house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now, now we need to pray, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. How we need to pray, Lord, lead me to that rock. In these troublesome times that you and I are living in, when everyone is so negative about the church, and some are predicting the demise of the church and are going away, as a result of that, we need to remember that Jesus, what Jesus said. He said this, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Amen? Oh, we might get beaten down, we're going to get up. We might get messed up, but we can get fixed up. There's a great song. Maybe you've been hearing that same old voice saying you can't make it, telling the same old lies to you. But Jesus said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you feel lost 
He's a way maker. If you've got pain, He's a pain taker. If you need freedom, save Him. He's a prison shaking Savior. If you get changed, He's a chain breaker because there's a better life. Thank you. 
builds his house on the humorous and subtle things. God builds your house on the rock and not the sand. That would be the definition. For the word ox is the word of God. See, we, we get we get our eyes get off of Jesus when the Bible tells us over in Hebrews 12 2, look ye unto Jesus, the author of the faith there. And we start seeing the little twinkling things. We start seeing the shiny things. Get to looking at it, and we get to following it around. That's what we end up doing. Why we build our house on a rock and not the sand? For the, the the rock is the word of God that will not return to its void or empty. But the sand is everything in this world that is fluctuating. What do you mean? You know what God wants you to trust in Him. He wants you to trust in Him because He will never. How many of us have been disappointed by Christmas? How many of us have been disappointed because we thought the job we were going to get, we didn't get it, and they gave it to somebody that had less experience than we did? How many of us have been disappointed financially when we thought we were going to have a windfall and all of a sudden we're going to get paid? How many, how many of us have been disappointed in a job? How many have been disappointed in people that promised and told you they would do things and, and then they went back on the work? How many times have we been disappointed in those things? Because everything in this world on the sand is fluctuating.
on the stand and say, well, I got my AR-15. Thank you. 
by submitting to the Lord and hitting the enemy and right in the nose in the name of Jesus. We live in the day when we turn on the TV and every channel shouts headlines at you about wars and disasters and famines and cruelty and poverty and the like, and there are very real situations. But we need to understand this is all a tactic of Satan to weaken us so that we will drop our guard and lose heart. But if we will prepare our hearts now and build ourselves up against the forces of darkness and against the devil and his cohorts, we'll overcome all this tenacious and deceptive tactics. But has not the Lord told us that if he gets ready to come, this will be the environment? Did he not say in 2 Timothy 3.1, the Amplified Bible, but understand this, that in the last days will come perilous times of great distress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear? Did he not tell us that? Listen to what John tells us about how we are to stand in these last days. He says, for in John, 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in that as many as boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. If we're that, then we need to call upon that power in the name of Jesus. One word that we must delete from our vocabulary is the word fear. by what we see. We walk, We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by our feelings anymore. We by, walk by what God has said from His Word, and that's my anchor in this messed up world. When I have trouble, I turn to the Word. What does God say? When I lose someone that I love, I turn to the Word of God. What does the Word say? Then I have gone to, then I can rejoice. When I have financial needs, it does the Word say. When I'm persecuted, what does the Word say? When danger of the coronavirus comes, what does the Word say? We walk by faith and not by sight. The twelve spies that went over to the Jordan spy of Canaan, only two were walking by faith. And I'm afraid that today that's exactly how most Christians are walking. They're walking by sight and not by faith. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, boys, let's go get them. Man, you saw what the Lord did back there at the Red Sea. You saw how he gave water from the rock. You saw how he fed us from the air with manna. You saw the quails coming. You saw, let's go get them, boys. And the other two of them, I'm afraid the church and, and a lot of Christians today go, oh, what are we going to do to the coronavirus? All we got to do is... If, if God can protect us from all the other things, cannot He protect us from the coronavirus? And I'm not talking about being stupid either. We walk by faith and not by sight. Second Timothy 1, 6 says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. I don't know what the correct word is. I never, I never, never in my ministry in my life did I ever think that I was saying this again. I didn't want to know what it was. Even though I may have been in similar pain
the beautiful. Look what she said. She wrote these words. To give us more grace when the burden is so great. He sent us more strength when the labor is complete. He added affliction to you. He added his mercy. He added affliction. He added his mercy. He multiplied trials. He multiplied when, he has, when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father full giving only begins. Fear not that we need not exceeded His provisions, or God ever yearns His resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing the Father both thee and thy woes will bear. Love has no limit, His grace has no measure, his power, no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he's given, he's given.